Karina Ocatel, and this is the weekly wrap up. With just over five weeks to go until the US election, Trump has shaken off the rut he had found himself in debating the efficacy of masks or dealing with the self-proclaimed autonomous zone of Chaz, which is now all but forgotten. And Trump is back in form, painting a positive vision for America's future and going boldly where others fear to tread. On Saturday, in the face of much controversy, Trump will be appointing a new Supreme Court justice at the UN General Assembly. He called for China to be held accountable for the spread of coronavirus. We must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. In the earliest days of the virus, China locked down travel domestically while allowing flights to leave China and infect the world. And on Wednesday, Trump made the following announcement to protect babies who survive abortion. Today I am announcing that I will be signing the Born Alive executive order to ensure that all precious babies born alive, no matter their circumstances, receive the medical care that they deserve. This is our sacrosanct moral duty. Joining me now is Victorian MP and President of the March for the Babies, Bernie Finn. Welcome, Bernie. Good. Many... Hey, g'day, Karina. How are you? Hello. Good very well, you. thank you. You too. You too. Many people that I talk to are not aware that babies who are aborted but survived and then left to die or late-term abortion right up until birth, that this is something that can occur in Australia and is occurring. Um, can you talk us through how prevalent late-term abortion is in this country? Well, late, late term abortion. A lot of people think late term abortion is, uh, is something that is rare. It is just it just doesn't happen, but it does happen quite often, and it, it happens uh, very often for social reasons, for for reasons that uh, are not in any way related to um, uh, the the disability of the child. Not that not that disability should be a death sentence anyway, uh, mm. but it happens quite often, and unfortunately, um, well, the whole thing's unfortunate. But we have a situation where some babies are actually born alive as a result of what they call failed abortions. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we um, we know uh, in the United States and here in Australia that those babies uh, are often um, done away with, uh, almost always done away with, uh, and uh, in sometimes pretty pretty drastic and dramatic ways. Uh, it is, it's, it's horrendous to think that um, we, we call ourselves a civilised nation mm -hmm. and do this to little babies. I mean, how could any civilised, decent human being do that to a baby? How could mm. anyone do that? Mm. And you were in Parliament in 2008 when uh, these laws legalising late-term abortion were introduced um, in Victoria. What was it like to be in the Chamber of Parliament on that fateful night? Uh, 2000, well, I remember, remember it very well, mm. 10th of October, um, 2008, at about 11.30 at night, we had been debating the abortion bill all week. Uh, we had been debating uh, the building committee stage where we go clause by clause. And we put up all all day, we put up a, a series of amendments to try and uh, ameliorate the, the legislation, to try and make it a little bit better. Uh, every, every amendment had been knocked back. Um, so, you know, we had amendments, for example, where uh, partial birth abortion was banned. And we know how, how vile, how evil... Uh, that partial birth abortion is, um, the, the parliament supports that. That's legal in Victoria. 
Um, we, we put forward a, a ban on, on late-term abortion. Um, that's legal in Victoria. Uh, the whole range, a whole range of, of um, amendments that were put forward, every single one were reject, was rejected by, um, uh, by the pro-abortion uh, majority uh, in, the, in the upper house uh, on that particular day. So uh, it, was, it was horrendous. It was horrendous. And, and I, I well remember when the vote was announced, um, I, I, my, my head dropped uh, to somewhere around my knees. Um, and, and I just said, uh, well, Lord, what do you want me to do now? And uh, I, I heard somebody, um, I'm assuming I know who it was, but I heard somebody say, March for the babies. Mm. And uh, that's how it all started. Uh, and uh, we are having our, um, uh, our next March for the babies, a little bit different this time because it will be online, but we're having our next March for the babies um, uh, on, uh, on 10th of October, uh, a Saturday in, in about three weeks time. Um, so everybody is welcome to tune in on our, on our website. The incredible thing is that many people who are pro-abortion are shocked to discover that uh, children can be aborted right up until birth or that babies who survive abortion and then left to die and the absolute inhumanity in that. Um, it seems that uh, with the legislation that's gone through, you know, firstly in Victoria and then in other states around the country, uh, that a lot of people weren't aware that this is the case even those who are pro-abortion and raising awareness through what you do, Bernie, leading the March for the Babies um, is absolutely incredible and important work to continue doing and more strength to your arm. Well, um, thanks for that, Karina. I'm, I'm just staggered at the number of people who don't know. Um, mm. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, we do have abortion until birth in this state and babies are killed after they're born if they happen to be born alive. And I remember back, I think it was about 2009 or, or 2010, we had a debate on this in the upper house. We, uh, Peter Kavanagh, who, who was um, uh, the DLP member uh, back then, put up a motion, and, and I was very strongly supportive of this motion, uh, where he wanted an inquiry um, into this. He didn't, he didn't make any statement. He just wanted an inquiry. And uh, the pro-abortionists, uh, th their minds exploded. Uh, their, their heads blew off. They, they couldn't believe that, that anybody would want to discuss this. Now, I, I find it extraordinary. And, and they said some dreadful things about him uh, because uh, because he had the guts to stand up and defend uh, and defend these babies. Mm. Um, so you know, I I I'm not easy one easily given to despair, but you sometimes got to wonder about what hope some of these pro-abortionists have um, when they will defend their right to kill a child um, that's already born. I mean, it's bad enough that they would kill a child uh, within their womb, but but to kill a child once it's born, well, then we, we've, I suppose, um, legally anyway, crossed, uh, crossed a bridge. Mm. Now, thank you so much for your time, Bernie. Uh, thank you for continuing to march for the babies and all that you do. Um, for those who aren't aware, uh, you can join mine this year, the March you for can, Babies. Absolutely. Go to the website um, and uh, please get involved because it is so important that we keep uh, raising our voices in this respect, um, speaking for, you know, those little ones that don't have a voice. Uh, but thank you once again. And, Karina, just keep praying for our own Donald Trump here in Australia. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Betty. You might be... <laughs>
<laughs> one of those. Oh, I don't think so. It's a very same mold. Yes. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, urologist Jeffrey Wells told us that over 600 Victorian doctors had signed an open letter to Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews calling for the end to the lockdown. This week, in response to the majority Labor Victorian Parliament lower house waving through an omnibus bill, letters were written to Premier Andrews from the Law Institute of Victoria, the Professional Association for Victorian Lawyers, the Victorian Bar Association, and a joint letter from both retired judges and Queen's Council urging the government to amend the bill. Why? If you thought the Andrews government could not get more authoritarian, more abusive of basic human rights, think again. The bill gives powers to undefined authorised officers to detain people even indefinitely based on their subjective belief that they won't comply with an emergency directive. Joining me now is lawyer and national president of the Australian Family Association, Terry Kelleher. Terry, can you talk us through the concerns this bill raises in terms of arbitrary and excessive powers? Uh, yes, look, the first thing I would like to say as a preliminary, the bill does deal with amendment of other legislation um, to allow procedural rules, for example, in um, courts, um, youth justice system, etc., to be modified to you know, to, to um, minimise the risk of transmission. But um, the concerns were two, I think. One was regarding the appointment of authorised officers um, and who could be appointed, and two, what powers that they, they will have. So the first point, um, if we look at who can be appointed, um, under the Act, under the Public uh, Health and Wellbeing Act at present, authorised officers can be appointed by the um, Department of the of Health and Human Services. However, they have to be employees or persons employed under the Public Administration Act, which means basically uh, public servants. Now, I think there, at least you know the classes of people who would be likely to be appointed, you would know what skill sets they have. The change here is that the authorised officers could be any person that the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services considers appropriate. And the bill would also allow people to be indefinitely detained. How can this be possibly justified? Um, so again, the question is why these further powers are needed and the concern about the power too is that the power to detain, and it's not clear whether, where the person will be detained, whether it's in their own home, if it relates to isolating, um, or at another place, perhaps in hotels again. But the period for which they can be detained is that which is um, that which the the authorised officer reasonably believes is necessary for the um, period necessary to eliminate the risk. So I think that that means, and people are saying, oh, you know, you can be detained indefinitely. Well. That is the case. It's until the authorised officer believes that person, reasonably believes that person is no longer a risk. Terry, not just the legal profession, but a lot of people are justifiably concerned about the bill. What kinds of actions can people take to try and prevent it from passing the Victorian Upper House? Yes, certainly. We, we send out um, action alerts to our supporter base, that is, and if people wish to join that action alert, 
list, they can certainly go to family.org.au to our website um, and join. And we've sent out, um, we send out, we, we describe the situation and we tell people or advise, you know, what they can do. So we know that a lot of people have been sending emails and writing to um, MPs to express their, their concern, this huge concern. And my point is, and I know maybe I've laboured the point, but is that are they necessary? Is it necessary mm -hmm. to expand the range of people with the authorised officers and the um, the power that they have? And as you say, it's preemptive before any you know offences even or breach has been committed. That they're likely to, with no mm -hmm. oversight as to well, on what basis did you think this person was likely to you know breach the restrictions? The other thing that concerns me is. Um, it just refers to, you know, someone who would refuse to comply with directions. It's not clear that that's in relation to you are detained and you stay here um, in your home or you go to this place and you'll be detained. So it's around the isolation. And, you know, they're supposed to, people who are positive are supposed to isolate for two weeks and then have other, another test to see that they're, they're clear of the, the virus. But does it mean any directions? So are they going to say, oh, well, you know, you've, you've served out your isolation, but um, you're still in detention because mm. you know, um, I reasonably believe that you will refuse to obey the directions re regarding um, not going more than five kilometres from your home or wearing a mask or distancing. I'm not saying that those things are unnecessary. I'm not arguing against them at all, but I'm just saying to realise what the power of the authorised officer is and that doesn't also refer to those, you know, the likelihood of their refusing to comply with those um, requirements or, the, mm. or directions, which would make the detention definitely indefinite. Mm. And there are no checks and balances as to communicating with, um, you know, another person. They're being, you know, the person being detained, being allowed to communicate with someone. You know, if you're going to be detained, uh, if you're arrested by the police, <laughs> then you are allowed at least one phone call. Um, you know, you're not in communicado, um, and also the, uh, you know, the the authorised officer should have to identify him or herself. Um, you know, there's there's no none of these sort of checks and balances, um, and also that, that even under the Act at present, um, an authorised officer can't enter the premises except with the consent of the occupier. Um, you know, that they, they have to go away and get some sort of order that they should be able to do. But we expect those sort of things in a democratic society. Mm, absolutely. And I think what is concerning, even frightening people at present, is the fact that these people who will be appointed as authorised officers, as you've said, Terry, um, there's no clear guidance about who they might be. Then they have powers to detain people, possibly indefinitely, um, without any checks and balances, without any oversight. Uh, and not only that, but they can do so on a suspicion that someone might not comply with a directive um, of the government. It's, I think, completely unheard of. Uh, as you mentioned, if uh, anyone would like alerts about action that can be taken, whether it be on this issue of the omnibus bill um, or other uh, legislation that's coming forward, uh, do make sure that you look up the Australian Family Association website um, and do subscribe to those action alerts. They're very useful, very important. Often people feel powerless about what can I do? Um, all of this is happening. The world is changing around me. I don't know. Um, 
this is something tangible that you can do and it absolutely makes a difference uh, to contact your MPs and to be empowered through information like that supplied by the Australian Family Association about the points that you can raise um, to grab the attention of those MPs when they're voting on important legislation like this. Thank you once again, Terry. Thank you for having me. Lyle Shelton is a former councillor, Senate candidate and was managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby. He is an author and fellow Good Source contributor. If you haven't already, make sure you tune in to the Lyle Shelton show on Wednesdays on the Good Source. In January, Lyle wrote a blog post in relation to a drag queen story time held at a Brisbane City Council public library entitled Why Queenie and Diamond Goodrim are Dangerous Role Models for Children. Based on this blog, Queenie and Diamond Goodrim made a complaint to the Queensland Human Rights Commission under anti-discrimination legislation. As Lyle noted in his blog, Queenie is publicly crowdfunding to have her breast surgically removed and Diamond Goodrim is a 2019 winner of an X award from the adult entertainment industry. On this basis, Lyle suggested they weren't good role models for children. Then on the weekend, the Courier-Mail ran a full magazine spread stating that Lyle had said degrading and dehumanising things about Queenie and Diamond Goodrum. Welcome, Lyle Shelton. What on earth was the Courier-Mail talking about? Thanks for having me on your show. Um, look, I don't know what the Courier-Mail was talking about and what Queenie, uh, who also goes by the name of Johnny Valkyrie, was saying because... Um, Johnny didn't say in the Career Mail article or didn't specify what the degrading and dehumanising things were that I was alleged to have said. So I still don't know. I've been through uh, the Queensland Human Rights Commission in, in a so-called conciliation process, which is more about trying to get me to apologise and back down. Um, and, and I still don't know um, what it is I've done or said that's unreasonable or, or vilifying. And what stage is that case at at the moment? The conciliation, it didn't resolve the matter. So now you're facing an ongoing legal battle. Yeah, it's 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 uh, dragging on and on. And um, my lawyers tell me, you know, we may not have any resolution till well into the new year. Um, they've had cases that go to bodies like the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal uh, drag on for more than 12 months. So um, I, I'm at the stage now where uh, papers are being prepared against me uh, by uh, the two drag queens, uh, Johnny Valkyrie or Queenie and, um, and Diamond uh, Goodrim. Um, they have the backing of the LGBT legal service, which over the past three financial years received $400,000 from the pockets of Queensland taxpayers. So this is taxpayer-funded litigation. Uh, they go into the Courier-Mail at the weekend saying that I've said degrading and dehumanising things about them, but don't give any examples. And, and of course, the Courier-Mail just publishes it as gospel, and uh, I have to endure this lengthy legal process. Mm -hmm. Activist cases seem to be on the increase in an attempt to silence those who might dare to speak the truth. Tasmanian Senator Claire Chandler seems to be the latest victim of this kind of lawfare as it's coming to be known, receiving an anti-discrimination complaint for an op-ed on women's sport where she simply asked, should women and girls have to share change rooms and toilets with people with male genitals? 
Is it okay for biological males to win women's sporting events? Should a male sex offender be housed in a women's prison because they identify as a woman? Earlier this month, this is what Senator Chandler had to say on the matter. Senator Chandler. Last week in the Senate, I spoke about World Rugby's efforts to defend the integrity and safety of women's sport by ensuring women's rugby is for female players. At the end of my speech, I referenced the recent case of a woman being fired from her job for speaking about the reality of biological sex, and I posed the question, how do Australians know that they are free to speak about women's rights and the reality of biological sex without being censured or fired by their employer? Well, it didn't take long to get the answer to that question, because the answer is Australians are not free to acknowledge the realities of sex or to defend the integrity of women's sport. Today, I received a letter from the Tasmanian Equal Opportunity Commission summoning me to attend a conciliation conference to answer for my statements on free speech and sex-based rights. The complaint made under the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act is in relation to an op-ed I had published in the Mercury newspaper earlier this year about, quite ironically, free speech. Lyle, are cases being brought by activists against private citizens on the increase? Yeah, it, it is, um, Karina, and, and sadly, you know, it's a tactic that's being deployed by um, political activists, uh, and, and, and I think this is a form of political activism. Uh, Johnny Valkyrie, in um, the article in the Courier-Mail, uh, told the journalist Leanne Edmonston, who, who herself is a co-author of um, Shelley Argent's biography. Shelley was one of the leaders of the same-sex marriage yes campaign. So you can see how there's a coalescing of... Of, of journalism and political activism, and it's all designed to try and silence those with dissenting voices. And, and, and Johnny says in the article to Leanne Edmondson that if we, um, uh, that we have to stop so-called homophobia, transphobia, and hatred, and Johnny says um, that homophobia, transphobia, and hatred is in the commentators we allow on platforms. This is a reference to me as a commentator on a, on a blog platform. And um, Johnny says that needs to be stopped. Um, so to me, that's very chilling because these people are trying to stop discussion. They don't debate. They don't tell us what the homophobia, transphobia, and the supposed hatred is. I don't hate anyone. I'm not fearful of anyone, which is what phobia implies. And as we were saying earlier, um, they haven't described what the degrading and dehumanising things that I'm alleged to have said are, uh, yet they want these unspecified things stopped and they're using the law and taxpayers' money to do so. Um, this is not the Australia I grew up in. I think um, the uh, LGBTIQA plus political movement, uh, the, the one that prosecuted and won the same-sex marriage debate and plebiscite back in 2017, which you and I were a part of, um, they can't really claim victory in that 2017 plebiscite unless they can shut up dissenting voices like myself and Senator Claire Chandler and millions of other Australians who will always believe that marriage is a man-woman thing, that gender diversity matters and that gender uh, matters for children, that, that their gender isn't fluid. So while ever people dissent against same-sex marriage and gender fluidity and indoctrinating children, they haven't really won. So what we're seeing now is them trying to 
make good their victory and, and using the law, which has been weaponized as a result of the change that was made in 2017. You and I, you know, we both spoke at the National Press Club. We were both in the campaign. We said these things would happen and we were laughed at. Uh, you and I were both laughed at. We were, you know, the, the journalists sitting around the table at the press club when we said all this would happen didn't yeah. believe us. And um, I have to say, I don't know about you, Karina, but I have been surprised at how quickly the things that we said would happen would happen. I thought maybe it'd be on a slower burn, but they didn't waste any time at all. So um, this is this is new territory. It's frightening. I, I'm glad. I think they've overreached in taking on a senator. I, I mean, my case has had hardly any media reporting apart from, you know, that, that silly Curie Mail piece which said it's a self-evident good that children be exposed to these sort of dangerous role models. But So, so they can ignore me, but they can't ignore a senator in the Australian Parliament and um, I think Australians are going to be waking up big time to all of this. Let's hope so. Thanks very much, Niall. Thank you for your time and keep fighting the good fight. I know we're all with you and all behind you. Thanks, Karina. I really appreciate that. This week, myself and a bunch of amazing writers and thought leaders have a book coming out, Keeping Australia Right. I've written a chapter on women in politics and other authors consider energy policy, immigration, economic policy, gender dysphoria and religious freedom. To order a copy online, please go to Connor Court Publishing. Christmas is coming up faster than we know it, so this is a great place to do some early shopping. And if you haven't already, you can also order Lyle Shelton's book, I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture Wars. Well, that's it for this week's wrap-up. Tune in on Saturday for Conservative One with George Christensen on The Good Source. Like and share this video, leave a comment here, and make sure you subscribe and donate to goodsource.news to keep fighting fake news.